For the last few weeks, we have been speaking about relationships and that God is actually a God of relationship, that the very purpose for which He made us was to have relationship with Him. Last week, we spoke about the fact that because God desires relationship with all men, He has committed the ministry of reconciliation to us and to make it possible for others, to make that opportunity for a relationship with God a possibility He's put that ministry of reconciliation in our hands. And I wondered why he would do that. See, we can describe relationships in many ways. We can speak about our relationship as a, a business relationship. You're a client going to a shop. You have a relationship, a business relationship with that person. Or maybe you're the shop owner or the business person and you have that, that relationship with your clients or your suppliers. But that's that's a little far, isn't it? It is a kind of relationship. And many people try to have that kind of relationship with God. Almost as if it's a business exchange. And what kind of messes up our heads is the fact that we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating with communion. We say that God has purchased us for himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's true. That is one way of looking at what happened there. God had purchased us for himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. But then we can also have a relationship with God as something a little closer. What we love to focus on is the fact that we can now be called the children of God. So we say, thank you, Lord, you're father and we are children. Jesus is our older brother. We have the Holy Spirit with us all the time. Another way that we can describe that relationship with God is we can say we are the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. You know, the Bible ends with with the second last verse, I think, in the entire Bible says, the spirit and the bride says, come Lord Jesus, right? That's what we're waiting for. So we can describe our relationship with God in various ways, but specifically our relationship with Jesus. We can call him brother, but we can also call him friend. And friendship with God is something precious. We should not make friendship with God off as somehow less than our child-parent relationship. As my children are growing older, I'll always love them as my babies. I mean, I look at them, they don't look like babies anymore. But I mean, for me, in my heart, they're always my babies. But as our conversation becomes elevated to another level. As they can start understanding different things, they become more and more like friends to me. Less and less just my children. It does not in any way diminish the father-child relationship that I have with them. It doesn't take away from it. It adds to it. It enriches it. We cannot in any way say, saying that I'm a friend of God is in any way less than saying, I'm a child of God. There are many parents that have children and have very horrible and unnatural and unhealthy relationships with their children. I know a relationship between a parent and a child is healthy when as grown-ups they treat each other with respect. They still have something to say to each other. If we can still have a conversation, if we can still align our priorities. It's not just, oh, thank you, you raised me. I'll always be thankful for that. Cheers, see you, I'm out of here. And I'll let you know about the grandkids. And that's the entirety of our 
of our relationship. That's, that's cold. That's cold. We want something closer with God. As I was preparing for today, I just looked up the word friend and I found something. I'd read this parable and it doesn't help that it's in three of the gospels. So this particular parable or set of parables are in three of the gospels. So you read it and you think you know it. And I mean, I've read it and I've preached from this particular parable a few times. And then when I read it again, I saw something there that I had not seen before. So I want you to turn to Luke 15. Now Luke 15 is where Jesus tells a series of parables about lost things. You know where this is going, right? You know those. I wonder if you've seen this. Verse 1 says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now this is something interesting. When Jesus, when people came close to hear Jesus speak, now sometimes, of course, it was crowds. But obviously in this setting, this was in somebody's house. Because he received the sinners and he ate with them. There was true fellowship. This wasn't just him standing in front of an audience and just speaking at them. This was him interacting with people, receiving them, sitting down around a table, having conversations with people whose lives were not all that clean and tidy and neat. And Jesus didn't begin every conversation with, now you're in deep trouble and you're a sinner and we've got to fix that. Jesus was interested in what was going on in their hearts and in finding where they were at, he could draw them closer, make relationship with God something attractive, something that they can understand. The scripture says, later Paul writes this and he says, the person of the flesh, the man of the flesh, cannot understand the things of the spirit. Right? We that are spiritual, we discern all things. But a sinner that has not been born again, doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. They can't respond to it. They don't have the capacity. It's not as if they don't have a Spirit, but for all intents and purposes, their Spirit is dead unto God. They can hear the Holy Spirit drawing them, but they don't understand the importance of coming close to Him. They understand the things of the flesh. And Jesus received sinners and had conversation with them and made God attractive to them by being with them. I wonder if we realize how big the fact is that God became flesh. That he would come that close to us. That he would take on the form of flesh and say, let me be with you. Let me sit down at a table and have conversation with you. And let's eat together. How important that was to him. Now, of course, people grumbled about him. And so verse 3, so he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I thought that was interesting. The other, the other versions of this just says he calls his neighbors. This one says he calls his friends and his neighbors. Interesting. So I kept reading. I tell you that in the same way, 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light the lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Then he tells the most famous parable of all about the lost son. We've had a lost sheep, now we've had a lost coin, and now we have a lost son. And when the son comes back, of course there's rejoicing. Now it says in verse 25, Now his oldest son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, verse 25 says, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. And I've never neglected a commandment of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Your friends are the people that you call when you're happy. Now, of course, your friends are also the ones that you can call when you're not happy. People that you kind of relax with. I can't even say let your hair down with because... But the people that you relax with, the ones that, if you're happy, these are the people that you want to hang out with. They're your friends. And Jesus calls his disciples friends. John 15, I want you to turn there. We were in Luke 15, I want you to turn to John 15. Now this is the last evening, this is the evening in which Jesus is going to be betrayed. Jesus is making ready. And then he says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that you may have more fruit. And this is just an aside. I've preached that sermon before, but I just want to remind you of it. The focus is not on the pruning. The pruning gets mentioned once. And the cutting out and being thrown into the fire is mentioned once. But the thing that is mentioned over and over in this chapter is bearing fruit. Don't get focused just on the pruning and the cutting off and the throwing into the fire. You're, you're missing the emphasis of the passage. The emphasis is on the bearing of fruit. And then he says in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. God wants us to know that he wants us to bear fruit but we are clean because of his word and then he goes on he says i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and i in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing and when jesus says this he's saying that if we can be close to him you know for me to say i abide in him i don't know how you abide in somebody. And I understand the image that he's using like a branch that is connected into the trunk. But we talk about sharing with our friends. I just want to share something with you. I heard something good. I want to share it with you. I want to tell it to you. You know that the word for fellowship 
actually talks about sharing. When you use the word fellowship, you're actually using the word koinonia, which means to fellowship, to share with one another. That is why we even call that communion. When you share in that meal, you are sharing in the life, in the death and the resurrection of your Lord. We talk about holy communion. The word is koinonia. It's holy fellowship. It's holy friendship. You see, your friends are the ones that you share things with and you share priorities. Friendships are always based on something that we have in common, an interest that we have in common. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, you call me master and Lord, and that I am, but I call you friends. You see, he, he, he says this to his disciples who has walked with him and he has seen that their priorities have changed. They're starting to share his priorities. They have the same interests. What is his interest? For this purpose the Son of Man has come, to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, if you read that parable in Matthew, that's how he ends the parable. He says, you should rejoice, right? When something is lost and something is found, everybody's happy. And in the same way, if you're going to be a friend of God, when a person is lost and they are found, you're supposed to be happy. In fact, if you're God's friend, you have His interests at heart. You want to share in what He is busy with. You know, your friend is the one that if He calls you and says, listen, I have a problem. Can you come and help me fix something at, at home? You don't talk about money. Well, you know, I'll give out my handyman services at so much per per hour. We're rounding up the cattle. Will you come over and help me? Sure. If you pay me so much per day, there's something wrong there. That's not a friendship. That's a business transaction, right? But if your friend calls you, you go. Why? Because you care about him. You might not even like cows. You might not even like DIY stuff. But you'll go because you have your friend's interest at heart and you want to share with your friend. Jesus is inviting us into friendship. Two people in the Old Testament have the same testimony. Isaiah 41. Now in Isaiah 41, the context is God is comparing himself with the idols and his people with the other nations that serve the idols. And then he says in verse 8, and he says, But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. He says, you're the descendant of Abraham, my friend. Abraham gets called a friend of God. You know, this is why God says, will I hide this thing that I'm going to do from Abraham? I'm going to share what I'm about to do with Abraham. When God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, will I hide this from Abraham? The things that are important to you, you share them with your friends. You engage in conversation with them. And Abraham, because he has that position of friendship with God, can say, Lord, 
Will the judge of all the earth not do what is right? He can engage in conversation about God's purposes. He can talk to God about what's on God's heart. You see, he has the same interests at heart. More than 400 years later, it said about another man that he had that kind of relationship with God. In Exodus 33, it's describing how God was interacting with the people of God, the whole nation. Everybody was afraid to come into God's presence. So they said, Moses, you go talk to God. But don't let God talk to us. Just tell us what God said. Verse 11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. This is the same Moses that had that conversation with God on the mountain and said, Lord, please don't kill all of them. And when God said, well, I'm going to kill them all, Moses said, Lord, don't kill them. I mean, if God said he's going to do something, and you know how powerful God is, how could you stand before God and say, please, Lord, don't? Because you really understand your friend. You understand that God's heart is not to kill. God's heart is not to judge. God's heart is not to destroy. Even when he says he's about to destroy them, you can say, Lord, that's not your heart. I know it's not really what you want to do. You know, God did not turn around and say, wow, Holy Spirit, Moses has just debated me into a corner. I don't think so. And God, in want, he longs to engage in conversation with us like that. He longs for us to stand in that kind of relationship where we can speak to him and hear what's on his heart and respond out of a heart that has been transformed by him in conversation with him. Start understanding what his priorities are. You know what his priority is? To seek and save the lost. When does he want us to rejoice? What, what's supposed to make you really happy? I mean, today's my birthday. I can't say I'm super happy to be older. Right? I've still got a long way to go. All right? I, I'm, I'm shooting for 120. So I'm going to be here a while. I'm going to see a few more birthdays. Amen? All right? But what makes me happy? To be with my friends. I'm with you. I'm with my friends. That's, that, that's what makes me happy. And I know you're my friends. You're here because you have the same kind of priorities as I do. You know, this is why we're in fellowship. This is why we share with one another because we have the same priorities. And God wants that for us to know Him that well. This is why Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. That night that He's being betrayed, that night that He's getting ready to go to the cross, He says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. You see, a servant does not know what his master is about to do. But I've told you all things. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. For his friends. Jesus laid down his life in the desire, the expectation that millions of people would get the privilege to call God friend. Yes, to become his children, but not just his children that they would grow in the Spirit and be raised up and hear God's voice and call Him friend. You know what really struck me? And Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 26, on the evening that Jesus is betrayed, this is after He's had this conversation with His disciples, right? After Judas has gone out, after Judas has gone to betray Him, and Jesus knows what Judas is going to do, and Jesus and the rest of the disciples go to the garden and pray. And then they come. He comes with a 
with a guard, with a high priest soldiers. And then verse 49, immediately, Hail, Rabbi! And kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, for what did you come? Even then, even then, Jesus calls him friend. I'm fully convinced that if Judas were to repent, even after he was the one that betrayed Jesus, there would have been forgiveness for him. In saying that, Jesus is saying to Judas, I'm dying for you too. Judas, you're not outside of what I intend to purchase for my father. If Jesus could forgive Judas and leave the door open for him, if Jesus could pray to the Father on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. There is no one that you and I have met that God does not desire to turn into his friend. Not all will. Not all will receive that invitation to friendship. But if we say that we have come to know the Lord as Father and as Master and as Savior, and if we dare say, friend, should we not have that same First priority. You see, we share, we fellowship with the Lord. If we truly fellowship with the Lord, when you pray, when you spend time with the Lord, driving somewhere or in your quiet place where you go to be with the Lord, or when you're doing the dishes, or when you're at work and you have a few minutes of sanity where you can just slow down and just think about the Lord, that's fellowship. And if you are fellowshipping with Him, The more that you fellowship with Him, the more your priorities will line up with His priorities. And then whoever becomes your friend, you have the opportunity to introduce them to your friend. Whoever you run into, even if they're not neat and tidy and their life isn't all together, they're your friend. Why would you not want to introduce them to your best friend? I've kind of noticed this. If I meet somebody new and I kind of get the feeling this can be a good friend, I immediately think, I think they'll like that friend that I still have from university. I think these two will get along well. Everybody, if we can get them introduced to Jesus, they can become a friend of God too. And today we're going to share in the communion. We're going to share in the fellowship. We're going to share His body and His blood. We're one with Him. We share in His life. We're part of Him. And in sharing this, I want you to just say to God, as we take communion today, I want you to say to God, Lord, thank you that I can call you friend. And thank you that I can have your priorities. I want you to look at your priorities. And just honestly before the Lord said, Lord, in these areas, I'm with you. And maybe in other areas, my priorities aren't with you. But I want to reevaluate. I want to think about those things again. Father, we come before you. We take the bread and we say that we are your body, that we share in all your priorities. Lord, thank you that there is forgiveness for us when we go out of the way, when we get distracted by other things. Thank you that there's forgiveness. Thank you that as a friend, we can have open conversation with you, where you can speak to us openly and say what's on your heart. And where those open conversations does not harm the relationship because we're friends. We're willing to hear what you have to say. And Lord, as your body, we claim to be your hands and feet. And Lord, I ask that you use us. As we take this bread, Lord, we proclaim, we are your body. Amen. Lord, we take the cup and we say, you gave your life. You came to seek and to save those that were lost. And that used to be us. And we are friends that's still in that place. 
Come and find them through us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, we have this joy that if we walk with you, we will see sinners come by the ones and the twos and the dozens and we proclaim by the hundreds. And we're going to rejoice with heaven. And Lord, just give us that privilege of being there when you find that which is lost. We want to share that joy. We want to rejoice when you find someone, Lord. We want to be the ones that you call to say that which was lost has been found. And we will rejoice, Lord, in each person that you put into our lives and that you give us the privilege of seeing what you're doing in them. We rejoice. Lord, I just want to rejoice beforehand. I want to rejoice for the people that have already come to faith through this work and this ministry. I want to thank you and rejoice with the people that are here for those that they have seen the privilege of leading into a relationship with you. And we rejoice that you add to the fellowship daily, that you strengthen our hands as we stand next to you and say, Lord, as your friends, what is it that you're busy with? We want to stand next to you and enjoy that fellowship, joining in what you're doing. Amen.